one of our sons who will go nameless this morning struggled somewhat during his high school years to learn to speak Spanish. He worked hard in school most of the time, but you know, inevitably, to each parent, there comes the day where your child hands them the first quarter report card. You know, and you're staring into those eyes, and some things are good, some things are bad, and you know that you have to say something to motivate them towards greater achievement, depending on what the report card says. And yet, these are these warm blue eyes that you've loved all your life. And in that moment, judgment and mercy have a conversation, right? It, it, it happens in your heart. And I think the theme of what I wanna say this morning to you is that God's judgment and God's mercy are in a conversation with one another. And for us, imperfect humans that we are, this is a very good thing. Let me explain. Here's the message of John the Baptist. You heard it from Luke earlier. You'll hear it from Matthew now. And I would invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. Matthew 3. But when he, John, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As you listen to this passage, twice essentially now, have you heard the measuring stick that John uses as he preaches to those who have gathered before him? Did you catch what he said the measuring stick would be? Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so, what does that mean for us? I mean, you've probably heard folks say something like this. I've certainly heard it often enough. Folks reflecting on their lives. Well, well, I'm not so bad. I'm as least as good as and they name someone worse than them. So God will certainly allow me into heaven. I've, I've tried to be good. Some of the time I've even been successful. Um, but do you hear the true measuring stick that John is using in this passage? It isn't whether you tried. It isn't whether you were better than someone else. It isn't that you mostly avoided evil. There, there isn't any of those kinds of comparisons being drawn in this passage. The measuring stick, according to John, in this particular place is, did you bear good fruit? Are you bearing good fruit? You know, it, it's easy at this point in this passage 
to just turn to that scripture that lists what fruit is, right? The presence of the Holy Spirit in all Christians will produce fruit if we allow the Holy Spirit to do that through us. And so you go to Galatians 3, 22, you read, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. At some level, if we've invited the Spirit of God to lead us and to guide us, and if we are following the guidance that he gives us, then we can assume that he's producing this kind of fruit in us, the results that he desires in us. And think about what he desires. Paul isn't just talking about characteristics that mark and shape us. He's talking about a love that issues forth in actions that are represented by some specific adjectives, some specific things. Spirit-led people are loving. So the result, the fruit, is that people are being loved by spirit-led Christians. Spirit-led people are patient. So the result is that these people listen and are trusted by others because of their patience. Spirit-led people are faithful. And so others come to rely on the people who are faithful. Spirit-led people exercise self-control. So people are willing to trust them with resources needed for the advancement of the kingdom because they've already demonstrated that they have self-control, that they're in control of their decisions. The consequences, the fruit of being obedient to and shaped by the Spirit of God automatically give rise to the actions that are counted as the fruit of the Spirit in terms of the kingdom of God. And the question that John asks is simply this. Are you producing any fruit, the kind of fruit that matters in the kingdom of God? Is that the kind of natural outcome of the way you are living your life? You know, so many times we've seen in the cartoons this picture of a person coming to the judgment bar of God, and all of a sudden the scales of justice appear, and we have the good side and the evil side, and all the activities of a person's lives are stacked on either side, and everyone waits with holded breath. <gasps> Which way will the scale go to see if I get into heaven or not? And John's telling us that picture's hooey. That, it's not that. that. That's not what it's going to be about. It's not how it happens at all. God has already bridged the gap between he and us. He has supplied everything we need in order to be productive members of his family and now we have to embrace his plan for ourselves and become the kind of people who are salt and light in this world, useful in the terms of his mission, which is to love the whole world he created. If we are unwilling to do this, we're useless to him and to the rest of creation. We haven't fulfilled our role in creation, period. 
That's it. And what does John say? The ax is already at the root of every tree that doesn't produce good fruit. Kind of scary, isn't it? Please understand, the point of the story is not that God hates unproductive plants. The axe isn't primarily a tool of destruction. It's a pruning tool which is designed to cut away that which is useless. Simply, this is a function of pruning and the use of resources. God's on a mission. He has an objective. Those who are on mission with him understand his values. They cooperate with his mission. By his spirit, he produces fruit through them, and they are his children. And all this makes me want to ask the question, am I producing fruit? Because a lot seems to hang in the balance on that question, which, as I said, is a very different question than have I been good or bad today? The question is, have I been productive today? Has the Spirit brought forth life from me today? There's another story that's included in the gospel record that is the story of a fig tree. And this is found in Luke 13. And I want to just take a moment to read uh, this story. It's a story that hangs underneath another short question asked by the disciples. This is Luke 13, first verse. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices, which would have been considered an abomination. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Verse 6, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man, the gardener, who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the gardener replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. That's the end of the parable. The tree planted in the vineyard, it uses space and nutrients to grow. It has been given the three required years to achieve maturity when fruit should be expected from it. There should be a a yield on the return that the owner has invested in the tree at this point. But at the end of three years, at the end of it, there is no fruit. The owner wants to limit his loss, so he orders the tree cut down. No fruit? 
Why waste the space and why allow the soil to be drained of nutrients to no purpose? But the gardener intervenes. Give this poor tree one more year, one more chance to produce fruit. And then, he says, only after we've done everything we can do, after we've patiently given it a second chance to be productive, after we've invested a little more fertilizer, a little more effort, then if nothing is produced, then cut it down. Notice the end result is still the same. Unproductive trees still get cut down. But God's judgment and God's mercy are still in conversation together. They're still evaluating. They are patient. They are given second chances. There isn't any judgment until everything that can be done is done. The symbolism behind this passage on the day that it was written was the fact that in Christ, Israel is, be given, is being given yet another chance. Israel's going to get another chance. How many chances have they had? Read the whole Old Testament. Chance after chance after chance after chance. But on this day, Israel, to the surprise of everyone, is being given yet one more chance. And I don't think we should miss the fact that this parable is preceded by a conversation that talks about sin, linking it to repentance. God debunks the myth that tragedy or calamity is linked to sinfulness in this lifetime. Good and bad things happen to everyone, and they do not happen because a person was good or bad, but every one of these opportunities, every tragedy gives us the opportunity to think again about our need for repentance. And it's not that God caused this good or evil to happen, it's part of living in a fallen world. But when we see the tragedy that is around us, we should wake up and say, I need to take care here. I need to repent. What really matters is that we take the opportunities for repentance that God offers us, that we see them for what they are and appropriate them as they become available and we do something with them. And so, since God's judgment and God's mercy are in conversation with one another, and because it seems like they're talking about the relative fruitfulness of our lives, it might be wise for us to consider the fruitfulness of our lives. The fruitfulness that, that ought to come from the children of God. The fruitfulness that ought to come naturally from the children of God. That ought to come naturally from every child guided by the Spirit the Spirit who wants to produce fruit automatically through each of you if you will simply pay attention and do what he tells you to do, right? I don't know if there's anything automatic about having to pay attention and obey, right? If we pay attention and obey, then the production is automatic. But it's all contingent upon 
will we pay attention and will we obey? And sometimes I wonder if obedience with the Spirit has to do with the motivation in our hearts for the, the reasons why we do the things that we do. Because we all do lots of things, and I'm just curious about why we do what we do. I mean, do, do we want to clean up our act so that we can make personal progress rather than continually shooting ourselves in the feet and causing ourselves to trip up? Do, do we want to be delivered from our bad habits and hurts and hang-ups so that we can avoid the pain that comes from those things exclusively or because we also want to please God and be useful to him? Maybe another way of saying it is, are we at the gym so that our body can be attractive to others or to improve our own self-esteem or we or are we at the gym in order to maintain the physical energy we need to do his will i mean why are we doing the things that we're doing do do we want to be holy so that we can feel good about our holiness of our purity of our righteousness or do we want to be holy so that we can be useful to God so that others will trust our intentions and we can minister for him. My fear is that many modern Christians think that life, life described by living in the kingdom of God is just about being better people so we can enjoy the normal consequences that come from being good people, which are prosperity, friends, comfort, longevity. Those are the natural things that come to good people. I think we spend a great deal of time pursuing the absence of pain, pursuing feelings of self-worth, pursuing the joy of being loved, and I don't have anything against prosperity. I don't have anything against comfort. I don't have anything against friends. But if what we're actively seeking with all of our actions are things that serve us, rather than considering that God has a mission in place, a plan for your involvement in it, that God has an objective for your existence, that he wants to use you in very specific ways, that he wants to produce fruit through you. Well, if, if that's true, how does that shape our living? What is the fruit of our lives in terms of the kingdom of God? What is the spirit producing through you and through me? Are we... Are we really spending any time thinking about what God wants to do through us? Or are we so focused on our own issues, our own thoughts, our own advancement, our own problems, that we give very little thought to what God might want to accomplish through us? And I suspect that if we are honest, we spend a lot more time on that category of self-absorbed things than we do on how we might be used by God. And if that's true of us, then there is a necessary retraining process for us. Somehow we've got to be retrained 
to think less about what advertisers tell us we need and more about what the Spirit wants to accomplish through our lives. It's going to be less about our rights and more about our privilege to serve. It's going to be less about our self-actualization and more about our usefulness to our brothers and sisters all around us. And if we spend all our time absorbed over here, there's going to be a retraining process necessary. My goal over the next seven weeks or so is to walk us through that retraining process. It begins with an acknowledgement that we are His and that He has the right to put us to work for Him. I've asked Tanya to lead us in a hymn. It's 455 in the hymnal, but I think the words will be on the screen. And it is a statement of this kind of acknowledgement, a starting place, um, a place of commitment to God that we might walk the pathway that gets us to the place where we think more specifically, intentionally about how we might be used by God. I'd invite you to stand with me and let's sing this song together.
John preached in the wilderness, he invited those who had repented of their sins to be baptized. And baptism was the symbol of the inward grace. And then he told them how to live out that baptism. This morning, it's not my intention to rebaptize anyone. But I'd like to pray a prayer of consecration. And if it's your intention to hear the voice of the Spirit and invite Him to shape you and use you in fruitful ways for His kingdom, I'd invite you to raise your hand during this pray, prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you see that it is our intention to be abandoned to you, to trust that your Spirit will come and shape us, that you will produce good fruit in us, fruit that is meaningful and purposeful in terms of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we're stating today, right now, that we want to be fruitful for you. We want to be used by you. We want to make a difference in the shape of your mission. We want to make a difference in our families and in our communities. And so, Lord, help us. Use us. Show us where our images are incorrect. Retrain our minds. Draw us to yourself for correction. But be merciful. For we know that we're dust and that we rely on you. We ask this in the name of Christ. And now may the God who began a good work in you carry it on to completion. To his glory now and forever. Amen.